0: Um, during the summer months we in the CLC are going to go through the books of first and Second Samuel so if you want to be reading ahead you can be looking at those stories in the Hebrew Bible first and Second Samuel um, these are stories of kingship in Israel or the crown <laughs> for the people of God right today is a story that deals with uncertainty so This uh, scripture passage is from 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'm going to begin with verse 4. Then all of the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give to us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of a king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons. He will appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And for the next eight verses, Samuel continues to tell the people of the many ways the king will take from them. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel then said to the people of Israel, each of you return home. And then in chapter 11, Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord. There they sacrificed offerings of well-being before the Lord, and there Saul and all the Israelites rejoiced greatly. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Samuel is Israel's last judge. He's a prophet. His leadership looks much like the leadership of Moses. When there's a problem in the community, the leader cries out to God, and then God brings the resolution. Theologian Walter Brueggemann describes this pattern of crying out and God answering in the covenant Community as the pattern of crying and answering, the people cry out. And then their mediator uh, brings a solution to them through God. For I'm God. The name Samuel uh, sounds a lot like the Hebrew phrase, heard by God. So Samuel is the right guy for this job to be a mediator between the people and God. He is heard by God. This pattern of crying out and answering works for the Israelites until it doesn't, and it doesn't. This week I was, I was passing through the room where the television was on and I heard um, the phrase compliment sandwich. You remember that phrase from a couple of years ago, compliment sandwich, when you want to give someone direction, or you want to give them an instruction or criticism, you start with a compliment, and then you give them the directive, and then you end the whole thing with another compliment. So I found an article in Psychology Today online that was titled, No One Wants to Eat Your Compliment Sandwich. The basic reason the article gave is it just is confusing for people. Well, so consider the scripture passage we have for this morning. The Israelites approached Samuel with this tasty treat. You are old. Give us a king. Your sons are corrupt. (laughs) It's definitely not confusing. It's very direct but the Israelites certainly didn't get that memo of the compliment sandwich. They butter Samuel up with, you're old and your sons are corrupt. Now, I don't know if it's intended to be an insult. I really don't. It might very well just be a truth. Samuel has aged and his sons don't walk in his ways. They're in bad shape. But the words certainly must sting for Samuel. But I get it when things are uncertain in my world, when I'm anxious, when change is on the horizon, I bark. I can be really quite frank and unflattering with my words. It's a defensive move. The Israelites can see that the system that has brought them security is crumbling before their eyes. The old order is breaking down and changes all around them. Preacher James Howell wrote, we can see in this Bible story that the Bronze Age is yielding to the technologically superior Iron Age. The nomads are settling into towns and the Israelites have real adversaries, the Midianites and the Philistines, and they attack the Israelites the Midianites and the Philistines they have real weapons they wield real swords and clubs and so arming yourself with just a prayer might not be enough scary they ask for a king like the other nations that they're coming into contact with to protect us they say to fight our battles In her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, Barbara Brown Taylor tells this great story about eight-year-old Anna visiting her at her home in the country. She plans one of the best activities that there is to do on a farm for eight-year-old Anna, which is moving young chickens from one pen to another at night. Apparently, if you try to catch a wide-eyed chicken during the day, they scream, and they fling themselves against the chicken wire, like they've heard all those stories of people wringing their necks. But if you go into the chicken house at night, it's like they've had two martinis. And you can pick them up, and you can tuck them into your apron and under your arm, and you can move them to their new home. So once the sun was down, Taylor invited Anna to go with her to the chicken house. She said, you'll love this. Follow me. The little girl complained as she stared into the darkness behind the garage. I can't see. Walking ahead with a flashlight, she said, it's not far. Your eyes will get used to it. Isn't it great? The stars in the sky. There was no one following her. No one hearing her words of comfort. Anna had just stopped walking. She stood in the wet grass by herself sobbing. Barbara Brown Taylor wrote, it was not her fault. It was not Anna's fault. It was the fault of everyone who taught her to fear. Convincing her that what she cannot see can and will hurt her so it's best to stay inside with the doors locked and sleep with a light on an author named James Bremer wrote courage is no more than the management of fear courage is about managing our fear and he said it must be practiced I believe that's true Courage is kind of like playing the piano. You can't just sit down and play. One has to practice. You can't just stand up and be courageous. One has to practice. Bremer says, and I believe it, that children need an easily obtained, cheap, renewable source of something scary but not actually dangerous, (laughs) like darkness. He said his own courage training was each night putting the empty milk bottles out by the curb. He had to do it when it was dark and they're milk bottles so they'll break. So he had to walk really slowly to the curb in the dark. But once he set the milk bottles down, he turned around and ran, ran, ran for the house in the dark. You know, when I read... 1 Samuel chapter 8, I have to wonder if the Israelites simply were getting rusty on their practice of courage. The Lord shows up in this passage like a grieved parent. The Lord says to Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. It's heart-wrenching. I think I'm most fascinated by what God does not do in this chapter of the Bible. God does not rage. There are no thunderbolts tossed from heaven. God does not argue. God does not even resist what the Israelites are asking for. The Lord tells Samuel, Samuel, the one who's heard by God, He tells Samuel to listen, listen to the people, listen to the people and put a king over them. Give them what they're asking for, even though it will not work. This will mean a return to slavery, a return to bondage, because a king will take, 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 take from the people. And yet God's willing to allow it. God is willing to give them what they ask for. When I look at this Bible story, I see that the one who handles this time of uncertainty, this time of change, the best, it's not Samuel. It's not the elders of Israel, but it's God. Whew, that's a bit of a relief, isn't it? (laughs) Bible scholar Bruce Birch wrote, It is God who is willing to risk even against the divine self-interest, God knows more and is still willing to risk more, willing to risk the kingdom. And yet it is through this very line of monarchs that we will consider this summer that God establishes his son That God places his son in this line of monarchs, opening up God's kingdom to all people. That's the story that is our story. Christian philosopher Dallas Willard taught that God's kingdom has always been present. God's kingdom has always been present from the moment of creation And God's kingdom cannot be shaken. It is totally good, and it is made accessible to every single person through Jesus the Christ, who most often in the Gospels chooses as a topic of conversation what? The kingdom of God. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven. Robert Alter says that in this passage, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, There is an untranslatable, repeated pun. And Alter uh, translated his own version of the Hebrew Bible into English, so I'm going to believe what he says. Alter says that in Hebrew, there is this frequent reference in 1 Samuel chapter 8 to the topic of justice. In Hebrew, it's the word mishpat. That Samuel's sons have twisted justice. That a king will pervert justice. And in this story is a call to us to practice justice. It's a subtle echo, but I do think that those who are attentive to the kingdom of God, that those who are attentive to the will of God hear the echo. It's a call to a selfless way of life to helping the vulnerable, to advocating for others, to rescuing the disadvantaged, to taking a food of groceries to the hungry, to setting the captives free. This is the kingdom of God. You know, even when you and I stand in a prison cell and we close the door tight on ourselves and we throw away the key, the kingdom of God remains at work. Reminding that we are all created in the image of God and we are all meant to live unrestrained. So practice courage. Courage is needed. It is needed right now. We are a people called by the divine king to take risks that set the prisoners free. As we prepare to celebrate the sacrament of communion, would you pray with me? Eternal God, We look to you for guidance. We look to you to protect what is significant, what is important. You are the creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and you breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You established your son who proclaimed the kingdom of God for all people through a flawed and fearful system. On the night in which our Lord and Savior gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, O Lord, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood. It is a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink this in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us and proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. Would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the body and blood of Christ given for you. Amen.